Good morning. You're listening to The Daily Cast, a podcast to start the day on Kilcullen Diary. I'm Brian Byrne. It's the 7th of May, 2021. Shortly, we'll consider the work of a woman who helped to save the world from an environmental disaster. And we'll revisit some recollections of Kilcullen and transport in earlier days. But first, the weather. It's a bright, clear morning. Some cloud will move in over lunchtime. There'll be sunny spells in the evening. It should stay dry. A high of 12 degrees in light variable breezes and freshening towards the evening from the southeast. Our person of interest today on this spring morning full of early bird song is Rachel Carson, American marine biologist, author and environmentalist. She was born in 1907 and grew up on her family's farm near Springfield in Pennsylvania. Exploring the farmland gave her an interest in nature, which she expressed by writing stories, often involving animals, from the age of eight. Her first story was published when she was ten. After completing high school at the top of her class, she studied English and biology at the Pennsylvania College for Women, graduating in 1929. A summer course at the American Marine Biological Laboratory prompted her to continue studies in zoology and genetics. But a critical financial situation and the death of her father in 1935 forced her to take a part-time job at the U.S. Bureau of Fisheries, writing copy for a series of educational radio broadcasts. She also wrote articles to newspapers and magazines about marine life in Chesapeake Bay, where she was based. Eventually, she got a full-time job at the Bureau, which became the United States Fish and Wildlife Service. By 1949, she was the chief editor of the service's publications. And her book, The Sea Around Us, was published in 1951 and remained on the bestseller lists for 86 weeks. That triggered republication of an earlier book, Under the Sea Wind, which also became a bestseller. She gave up her job in 1952 to concentrate on writing full-time, and a third volume of her sea trilogy, The Edge of the Sea, was published in 1955. Two years later, she was following the widespread spraying of pesticides and researching the harmful effects on the environment. It was a subject which had concerned her since the mid-1940s. Her book, Silent Spring, published in 1962, was the result of five years of direct research. The book didn't only speak to the effects of pesticides on animals, including the declining bird population, but also on sicknesses in humans. While she was completing the book, she found she herself had cancer, but kept the fact from public knowledge because she was afraid that the chemical industry would use the information against her work. They were already calling into question her science credentials, attacking her personal life. In one instance, she was labelled as probably a communist. After publication of Silent Spring, the attacks continued. But in 1963, President John F. Kennedy's Science Advisory Committee backed her scientific claims. Rachel Carson died on April 14, 1964, from complications caused by her cancer and its treatment. Her book, Silent Spring, is widely considered as responsible for a nationwide ban in the US on the use of DDT and other pesticides. 
It also inspired a grassroots environmental movement that led to the creation of the US Environmental Protection Agency. She was posthumously awarded the Presidential Medal of Freedom by President Jimmy Carter. And this morning, as I listened to the birds in Sunbury Close busy on their 5am spring chorus, I fancied they were doing so in tribute to her. Now to our feature piece for today. And I started this week with a clip of a conversation I had with my late uncle Tommy Byrne about traffic in Kilcullen when he was a boy. It seems a good idea to end this week's series with some of his recollections of cars, bicycles and trains through the 20s, 30s and 40s. When I was a kid, we had a Ford van. That did a Saturday delivery. And sometimes we'd be brought along, if we came to Canahill, you'd have to get out, we had to wait on it. Oh, to get up the hill. And maybe you have to give a push behind. You yeah, see. yeah. But we always had a car. And I think the first car my father had, uh, the regulars, IRA, started on him and set fire to it up at Moore Hill. Why would they have done that? Because my father was very anti-Dev. He was very, he was very pro Michael Collins to have enjoyed the Civil War. I see. So they took it seriously. Oh yeah. And my father had, always as a kid, he had a. 45 revolver, and I knew where he had it. I, my mother had a trunk, and there was a lid on it underneath the lid. And I still have the permit because of being a, he was being a Redmondite, you see. He came down that way, and his father would have been on the real Fenians, you know, down that way. So he had a Ford van. He had a Ford van for deliveries. For deliveries. But he also had a car. The funny thing about these four cars, they were terribly hard to start. And you had to swing them. Yeah, and you had to hold it a certain way because now and again it fire before it went too far and it caught a backfire. And it spin the handle around. <laughs> Do you see? And yeah. the more arms broke, maybe your knee was in the way it'd be broken. So I also remember that they had one method of making it easier to start. It appeared to me that they were kind of in gear all the time, you know. But you jacked up the back wheel. You jacked up the bad wheel and then you. I should spin. You never went the whole way around. You'd be asking for trouble. Yeah. The backfired. Yeah. No. Right. And even then, I remember tires coming out. And they know studs in a boat. Or yeah. the, the old fashioned studs. Yeah. With three rows of those right around the tire. This was a new idea. So Metal you could get punctured. Yeah. That was all right. You had a bit of frost. Right, right, yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 There was no the grip then. No, no, no. Yeah. They might as well have skates on the, yeah. 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 Who looked after cars in those days? Were there mechanics or did you do it yourself? Oh, Barber. Barber lived down there beside the bank. And he had a van and he used to do the mail. Before that, there was a lad who used to do the mail. He had a horse and car, Johnny Shockensy. Then Barber came along. Yes, he had been working in Dutty Lards at the time as a mechanic, and he started up, and he couldn't. He would do it, but there was a very simple engine. I did, my father's mechanic, favourite mechanic, was a man opposite Fenlands, Kilcullen. His name was Joe Millen. Who else in Kilcullen would have had a car when you were growing up then? Mick Feely had a car for hire. Hectic man. And he lived down, or he had his garage down there with the community have the little shop, just there. 
and he owned, they owned the valley as well, Felix. He'd a car. Uh, the doctor sometimes had a car. Now, Dr. Barker, when I was a child, he had a pony and strap. He had no car. Condy came after him, he had a car now and again. Now, who else would have? Old Tom Burney, he always had a car. And that's the only one I can remember around. And in general, were most cars Fords or were there other All makes? Fords. All Fords. I, I, my aunt Nora then got one later on. And the other aunt used to call it the bacon box. And it was called a road. An R-H-O-D-E. Yeah, never heard of it. No wonder I never heard of another one. <laughs> and she was driving that up to the golf links the Cora. But then we'd go out for the drive of a Sunday. Pat Quinn used to bring us up Glen Cree and up the mountains. But we'd always had to get out of the car going down the hill or going up the hill. <laughs> because you to, it wouldn't go up the hill and it was on the side. Oh, the down. bloody brakes were brutal. <laughs> you see, you never knew yeah. when they had brakes on them. Yeah, yeah. And, and the engine yeah. wouldn't drag you up. Yes, yeah, right. That's right. See. Well, you had to get out. Then out of Punchestown, of course, as kids, we sat on the footpath with a sheet of paper and we counted the bicycles, the, motor, uh, the traps and the motor cars going to Punchestown. We all would be there sitting a half a dozen of us and we counted them as we went by. But we had it ruled out and everything. But the bicycle men liked to be arriving. Oh God, they'd be arriving about nine o'clock. They'd be first. This was only a one-day Punchestown, was it? No, no, no it was two-day meeting. I see. Tuesday, Wednesday. At the hideout, I often saw bicycles like to be lying one on top of the other in a depth of 12 feet to the wall under the windows. Yeah. All in, and they're having their sandwich. So it was a big job to make the sandwiches for them? Oh, should the night before, two nights before, there could be six in the kitchen. And my mother had an old fashioned slicer. Oh, she'd have volunteers in, family in, and everything helping her. Native. And how far would those people on the bicycles have had come now for that day? They'd come out in Castle Dermot and maybe further. They know what I mean. But I, I do know Castle Dermot. You could have another one, maybe come in Castle Gomer or something, but I, oh, they might come by train. I remember going myself to Dublin by train. I was in the army and I was home for the weekend and I went up on the train to Dublin. This would have been during the war? Yeah, and I brought my bike with me. Because I'd have to cycle back Monday morning. Closed sometime after that. And then I remember going to the Eucharistic Congress. All the school boys went over for Saturday. We had our carriage or two on the train. That would have probably come from Tuller. You see, Tuller, Dunlavin. And what year was that? 32. My late uncle Tommy Byrne, talking with me in 1984. Memories that otherwise would have died with him. Our look at today's news. On our local newspapers online, the Kildare Nationalist reminds readers in a thigh of a date for their diary, the annual Tidy Towns Clean-Up of the River, in conjunction with the Thai Anglers, the Rowing and Canoeing Club and the Thai Sports Hub. The Leinster Leader gives prominence to a May fundraising drive in the county for the Jack and Jill Children's Foundation. The charity provides specialist home nursing care hours for 20 Kildare families among 374 families nationwide. And KFM Radio reports on the consideration by on board Planola of a proposal for scores of new homes in Kilcullen. In the Nationals, RTE leads with a big by-election win in Hartlepool, England for the Tory party, taking the constituency from Labour for the first time since it was created 50 years ago. Elsewhere, in an analysis piece on racism, we read that Ireland is at a crossroads on a journey to stamp it out. 
The examiner has a COVID lead headlining that the HSE doesn't know what maternity restrictions are in individual hospitals, even though the organisation has said restrictions should be lifted. The Irish Times gives its top story space to a US report that suggests Ireland's COVID death toll may be 2,000 cases higher than has been reported. And The Independent is on the housing situation, headlining that cuckoo funds are spending €53 million on buying up homes here every week. And that brings us to the end of the Daily Cast for this week. We'll be back again on Monday. I'm Brian Byrne. Enjoy the weekend and once again thank you all for listening.